Thanks for tuning in to The Way, a study through the life of the disciples. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. James the Greater. James the Greater. This, this past Wednesday night, Greg kicked off this disciple. disciple. If, if, you, if you remember, we are on Wednesday nights calling this the way. In, in particular, tailor-made Wednesday nights, making sure that the direction that all of us are going is not just with one mind, understanding who God is, theology, understanding what he teaches in his word doctrine, but, but even more particular, making sure that we're investing in the way that the disciples have been taught to follow Jesus. Because in essence, we too, not just these 12 guys that we've looked at each month or the 12th we'll look at next month, uh, completing the 12th, but, but we too are followers of Jesus. Therefore, we're disciples. And, and so we want to make sure that we, we take that time and say, Jesus went this way. Those who followed him went this way. And we too are to go this way. We, we learn the lessons from each one of these disciples and we see some of ourselves in each one of these disciples, no matter who the disciples are, whether they're Peter and you might be that kind of person who sometimes puts your foot in your mouth, says the wrong thing at the wrong time. Maybe you're like John and you just love everybody and you've got that big heart to love everybody. Maybe sometimes you experience a little bit of yourself seen in, in the person called Judas and, and you're not always as dedicated as you think you should be or, or, or ought to be. We, we looked at these disciples. Greg kicked off James the Greater. We, we've already looked at James the Less. Not a whole lot to speak about James the Less, but last week when Greg started this, he comes from Mark chapter 10, and he talked about from, from flesh to faith, from carnality to Christ, a fleshly living to a Christ-centered living. And if you think about it, all of us, all of us have been there. All of us have, have lived that way. All of us, hopefully, have been called away from living that way. But all of us are going to struggle in between living for the flesh or living by faith at times in our life. And so this is, this is the James that we're talking about. Uh, this, this may be a little late in the game, but this is where my heart is, uh, is going with, with, with this message tonight. I begin in preparations for this message to think about all the men that Jesus called. Now, now, there was a lot of people who followed Jesus. There were masses of people who followed Jesus. There were ladies who, who followed Jesus that wouldn't be necessarily included in these 12 that we have been studying month by month throughout this year. But I was thinking to myself, Jesus, why did you call who you called? Uh, again, Jesus goes and he preaches the message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's for anyone who would respond to come and follow him. Already from Matthew chapter 4 to chapter 5, you see that there is a multitude of people who are following Jesus at this point. There are people who are benefiting from his miracles. They are growing from his messages. They would probably have considered themselves to be disciples of Jesus. Why did Jesus call specifically out by name the men that we have recorded in the gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Why? 
Some are, are so obscure, it was difficult preaching messages from the gospel on some of these guys. Some is so little talked about. And, and, and to be completely honest with you, we, we've studied this thing out to where we've got more information on some others than what we could preach in just a few messages within a month. Why did Jesus call these guys specifically? Now, I, I think a part of that answer can only be found in the heart of God. Only God can know that. It's, it, it's kind of like, uh, like questions we ask ourselves about ourselves dealing with our relationship with God. Why would God do this or why would God choose that in my life? And, and so sometimes we don't have answers for that and we may not have answers for that until one day we, we get in heaven and by that time we won't care about those answers. So, some of the answer I know is not going to be answerable tonight. But I think one answer is that God, when he called out through Jesus to these 12 men, he understood 11 of these 12 men were going to get this message to some greater degree to where he knew that as he is going to call them, he's going to equip them, he's going to change them because he knew that he was going to use them to change the world. He knew that they needed rescuing themselves, but he also knew that they would be rescuers themselves. He knew that they needed to be transformed, but he knew that they were going to be an agent that he would leave behind as he ascends to the right hand of the Father as agents of transformation in the world. He knew that they needed their lives to be flipped upside down and later that they would be used to flip other people's world upside down. He, I think he knew that about, about these guys. Why did he, he call these guys out by name? How did he call these guys out by name? Each, each one of them was somewhat different, right? You got Matthew, who's a tax collector. Jesus walks by his tax collecting table, and he says, Levi, Matthew, follow me. And he leaves the, the table. All of his livelihood follows Jesus. Jesus has a specific message tailor-made for Matthew in that. Peter and, and Andrew, like James and John, like, like James the Greater, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We're going to talk about those verses in, in just a few minutes. But each disciple, he, he knows what he's going to do in their life and their potential of what he will do through their life is only going to be governed or gauged by their response to him. You need to hear that tonight because the same is true in your life. The potential of what Jesus will do through your life is not dictated or governed by him but by you. It, it, it will be as what, what you allow it to be. God wants to use you and use me in infinite ways. Ways beyond what we could possibly imagine. And the way he's going to get your attention in that is through something that might be very common to you anyway. 
to, to who you are, to where you are in life. This is an amazing thing about the God that we serve is that he is not out of check. He is not out of balance. He is very much aware of everything that is going on in your life. He knows who you are, where you are. He knows what you like, what you don't like. He knows what was happening in your dreams in the middle of the night that you didn't tell anybody about. He knows everything about you and he is willing to get this. The God of the universe, the God who can do anything, <laughs> he chooses to deal with you in a method and manner in which you can relate. <laughs> he, he, says, he says to Peter and Andrew and James and John who are fishing, follow me. And I will make you someone who is so generous in your giving because you stole by your taxes that you will give to. He didn't say that to them. He said specifically to these guys in an identifying way, not just knowing why he would call those men, but how he would call those men and how he would identify with them in their calling for the sake of potential in them to change a world around them. He says, come and Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. One thing that we're going to recognize about James the Greater, and we could say this about all of the disciples, as far as the second part of this thought is concerned. But what we're going to find about James the Greater is James the Greater goes from a guy who's, who's mending nets in one moment to where Jesus uses him later in life to mend hearts. From... From mending nets to mending hearts. If you got your Bible, flip over real quick. First book in the New Testament, Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read verses 20 and 20, excuse me, 21 and 22. It says in verse 21, and, and going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he, Jesus, called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father, and they followed him. A little bit of background of what the story, the flow of the story, how, how it goes is in, in the earlier part of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has been in the wilderness. He's been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He's come, he comes out of this wilderness and, and he's, he's hungry, obviously, but he's been in the presence of the Father, communing with the Father, and, and here's the enemy. The enemy is going to, to tempt Jesus. Just as a side note, understand this. Anytime you experience some spiritual victory, some spiritual high, know that the enemy hates it and he is going to do his best to come and disturb you. But that's all he can do is just disturb you. And the level of his disturbance is based on you, not him. Right? <laughs> he's he's going to come and he's going to irritate because that's all he is to the Christian. He can do no real damage, no real harm to you. He can take nothing to you, nothing from you that the Father has given you. That belongs to the, between you and the Father. And Jesus comes out of the wilderness. He's, he's hungry. Satan tempts him. Jesus combats the enemy with the word of God. And then Jesus is ministered to by angels. And then he goes out and he preaches the gospel. And he preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. And he does miracles. And he is walking by the Sea of Galilee. Verse 18 says, and he is now calling men to follow him. Follow me. There's, there's so much wrapped up into the thought of Jesus calling men 
to follow him. A, <laughs> you do know that we, we do nothing that is of any worth or any good within our Christian or spiritual walk that is done within our own power or apart from the power of Jesus or the influence of Jesus, right? It's nothing I can do that's of any value or of any good in and of myself. Andy is a pathetic, worthless individual when left to, him, left to his own demise, left to himself, right? If anything good happens, it's because of the life of Jesus that has been given to me, lived out through me, yet not I, but Christ in me, the hope of glory, who's living his life out through me. Him, him, not me, not, not I, but Christ. I'm decreasing. He has to increase. If there's going to be anything good that, is, that is, comes, from, comes from my life, Jesus did not need these men to follow him for him to save the world or change the world. He, he didn't need any of these guys. But, but he wanted to. <laughs> he, he wanted to take a group of men who were broken and battered and shattered both in mind and heart. And he wanted to take these men, this bunch of uh, 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 losers, and, and, and he wanted to bind them up. And, and then he wanted to cast them out into the world around them as an ingredient that would help bind the hearts of others around them. That's what he wanted to do. That's what he still does, by the way. Right? That's what he still does. He, he takes losers. Okay, that may be too modern for you. Let me just tell you what Paul said. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. He takes a bunch of sinners who can do nothing to please God in and of ourselves. He radically rescues us from our own sin, which we deserve to die and go to hell for. He changes our lives. He fills us with purpose and meaning. He sets us on a rock. He gives a song in our mouth that others can see. He gives us purpose and focus and direction in life. And then he says, go there and do that. And when you go there and do that, I'm going to change this. It's... It's, it's amazing. Jesus is, he, he, he's, he's out by the Sea of Galilee and he's, he's calling out and, and he calls Peter and, and, and Andrew. And of course, we know they follow. And John chapter one, there's a similar story there with these guys as well. And, and then he calls, and it's, it's almost like bam, bam, back to back. Verse 20, uh, let's, let's back up to verse 18. And it's not on the screen, but I'm going to go ahead and read it anyway. Let's, Easton puts it on the screen. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. They're doing just what, they're, what they normally would do. And he says unto them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And straightway they left their nets and followed him. I like verse 20 and I, and I like verse 22 where in verse 20 it says, and straightway in verse 22 says, and immediately similar words. In other words, there was an immediate reaction that happened at the calling of Jesus. And then in verse 21, and going from there, he saw two other brothers, James and John. A little bit of a unique, a little more unique story here. James and John have seemingly in these verses a little more to leave. Later, we find out Peter's got a mother, that, a mother-in-law. That means he's got, he's got a wife. And so there's, there's an investment close for Peter whenever Peter leaves to follow Jesus as well. But, but what we find here is, is James and John have a dad in a ship with their father. And they're mending nets. These are young men. 
It's not older men. Zebedee being, being their dad. They're called by Jesus to, to leave father and to leave business, to leave all that behind. He called them, verse 22, and, and immediately they left their ship, their business, they left their father, and they, and they followed Jesus. James has understood that he was more than likely the older brother because he's mentioned first out of the two in this passage. He was probably the one that had the greater influence in this moment, at least, over the younger brother, John. Uh, whether the scripture doesn't give us, the, was, it, was there a conversation that happened? Was there, was there Dad, are you okay with this? Was, was there a look back to see if he's got everything squared away? Uh, the scripture doesn't say anything other than that verse 22 where it says, and, and immediately they... They left. There was a sense of urgency because it was almost like there was a sense of expectation that they were looking for something. We, we, we use this statement an awful lot here, but, but you'll find what you're looking for in life. It doesn't matter what it is. You'll find what you're looking for. You want the negative? Look for it. You'll find it. You want the positive? Look for it. You'll find it. You want to find something to complain about? You ain't got to look for. You'll find it. You want something to rejoice about? I don't think you got to look for. You'll find something to rejoice about, right? You'll find what you're looking for. I feel like they, these guys were, were anticipating the Messiah to come and, and Jesus shows up and, and their response to his call was immediate. And Jesus was able to see in James, a heart that needed to be mended and that he would ultimately have a heart that, that could help be the agent of mending others. It begs a question for us to think about tonight, and, and that is, what kind of heart does Jesus use to mend hearts? What, what kind of hearts does Jesus use to mend other hearts? We're picking up in the beginning of James's story here, okay? This is Matthew chapter 4. There's a whole lot of life to live for James. And if you were to do a study of James's life, you'll see that you can actually follow him pretty deep into the New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them have stories of James here. James is that brother who went with places with Jesus. We'll talk about it in the next couple of weeks, how he was at the Mount of Transfiguration with James and Peter. We see where he was... In an argument, his mom was even taken up for him about sitting at the right hand of Jesus and his brother at the other. All of these things are had. James is, is, is pretty, well, pretty well mentioned in the scripture. So a lot's happening with James's life. We're picking up in the beginning. We see this guy is, this guy's probably like most of the guys in that day, like most of the guys in our day, most of the people in our day, battered by culture and battered by condition and situation and circumstance and problems in life. And, and, and his heart is, is, is not fully settled. As a matter of fact, his heart ain't going to be settled for, for a while, by the way, in, in the Gospels. It's going to take three and a half years for his hearts to get settled. You know when his heart got settled? When his mouth confessed the Lord Jesus and his heart believed that God sent his son Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead. And, and with his heart, he believed unto righteousness and, and was saved. And then his heart was fully mended. 
When Jesus died on a cross, when he was buried, when he rose from the dead, when that very fact wasn't just something that Jesus would tell him at a campfire after a day of miracles. It wasn't just a promise that was to come, but it was a fulfillment of a promise that had been made before the world was founded. And now by faith, his heart is mended. Everything in life that had torn it apart now, the gospel has put it back together, has made it right, made it whole. Now with with that, can you just imagine James and John and and Pop Zeb? Okay? And then they're going, I don't know, it feels like they would have called him Pop Zeb. You know? They're going fishing. And, 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 and so it's, it's usually the younger brother's duties to, to do things that nobody else wanted to do. But it, it, in the passage, they're doing all this kind of stuff together. And, and they've got the, they go out fishing and they got the nets out there and they're pulling in a haul of fish. And man, you, you, you get a tear, a big old hole in your net. And, and man, I don't know about you, Reese, but I don't want no bass going through that. You know, I want, I want to make sure the holes in my net are secure and fixed and they're, they're, they're mending nets because they don't want to lose a gain, a profit. They don't want to lose their hard work. They don't want to lose what their investment is. They're, they're putting out this great effort. They're, they're, they don't do this for nothing. And so these, these brothers, are, they're getting together and they're, they're mending the nets. That's what the scripture says. They were mending the nets when Jesus called them because they knew that the nets was, was important to be used in the work they were called to do. <laughs> Metaphorically, the heart. You know how difficult it is to go out and do the work of ministry with a heart yet not mended? How difficult it is just to, just to do anything really with a heart that, that, that hasn't yet, yet been mended itself. So, so James, God has been working on his heart and mending his heart because he knows how important his heart, just like a net is important to a fisherman and not just any net, but a net that has been mended, a net that the holes are taken care of, a net that's actually going to do what the purpose of the net is supposed to do, just like just like us with, a, with our hearts. He, James, you got to get this heart right. What kind of, what kind of heart does Jesus use to mend hearts with? I've got a couple of thoughts I want to share with you. First is a heart that knows what the purpose of a heart is. A heart that knows what the purpose of a heart is is a heart that Jesus uses to help mend other hearts. And you say, well, wait a minute, Andy. I, I, I'm not fully sure. I totally understand what the purpose of of a heart is. A heart is, is a reflective part of man. It's a place to where we experience life and where we experience it together. 
I mean, if, if, if we're talking about the heart in a metaphorical sense, not physical muscle beating in my chest, pumping blood from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet heart, but instead my heart that with my heart I love you and, and with my heart I make this investment and I do this with all of my heart. I'm, I'm putting everything I am into this kind of idea of about a heart. A heart that knows what the purpose of the heart is. To be able to, (laughs) with that heart, gauge what's around me. I I, want to be real careful when I say this because this this is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying define everything in life through the the value of your experience or even the emotion of your experience. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying let your heart be your guide or or anything like that. As a matter of fact, I'm not saying just trust your heart. I'm saying the exact opposite of all that. This, This is what the world pushes to us about our heart. You know, just follow your heart. I'm gonna tell you... And if it's just me, y'all tell me. Just point at me and say, Andy, that's just you. But every time I follow my heart, I I wind up wrecked. Just follow your heart. No, my heart is is a dump. My my heart can just, my heart's jacked up. If I'm just talking about the appetite of my heart in and of itself, man, I I want selfish things. I'm I'm a greedy individual that's, and if, and if I know that about me, chances are it's probably not just me. You know what I'm saying? It's probably, it's probably a whole lot more than just me. If, if I understand the Bible, at least. You see, the Bible teaches us with our hearts, we, we know with our hearts what sin is because our hearts are extremely rebellious. It says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 and 10. Notice what this says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? (laughs) Who who, who can tell you a lie that you're sure to believe every time? (laughs) If you thought about anybody other than yourself, right? (laughs) The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. See, I, I can know, know my sin. I, I, I want to make sure that we look at verse 10, though, because we can't look at verse 9 without looking at verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. I thank God that even though Andy knows that his heart is desperately wicked, it's deceitful, it's no good in and of itself, that I still have a God in heaven who loves me enough that he's willing to search through the depths of my dirt to take this stony, nasty thing out of me and put inside of me a heart of flesh that is able to beat with passion and goodness because of conversion, because of salvation, because of newness, because of Jesus. With our hearts, we we know sin. With our hearts, we express desire. Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. Notice what this verse says. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of your heart. The purpose of a heart is 
It's to be able to gauge what is right and wrong, to know that we are sinners. It's to express a feeling, a desire. To, to, our heart is given us to, to learn to distrust, but also learn to trust. First John chapter 3, verse 20, notice what this verse says. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 30, 13. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart. Your heart... Your heart is given to you so that you can learn to distrust and to trust. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. Most of the time when we think about having a heart, we, we think, well, trust with all of our heart. We, we do trust Jesus with all of our heart. But the fact of the matter is when you learn to trust Jesus with all of your heart, you've learned not to trust everything else with all of your heart. This is, this is modern day Christianity. Get a little of Jesus. And get a little of everything else you want. That's not Bible Christianity, though. Je Jesus puts it this way. He says, you can't serve two masters. Either you'll love one and hate the other, cling to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and things, mammon, material possession. You've got to singularly love him. He says, you've got to be gathering with him, not scattering abroad. You've got to be totally dedicated, solely given to him. Your heart's got to be one who trusts him. And when you trust him, then... There's no division or schism in your heart. You know now what not to trust. It's with our heart we, we respond to Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verse 10. It says, with a heart man believes unto righteousness, with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is, any, this, is, this is a part of that conversion passage of Scripture to where, where Paul's talking about how to be saved and why to the how to be saved in this part. I, I love this first part of this verse. He says, for the heart man believes unto what? What is that verse? What is that word? Righteousness. What, what is? How many of you guys think you could stand, come on up here and, and define the word righteousness for me? No takers. Is that an easy word to define or a hard word to define? Hard word to define for most of the time, right? It's a hard word to define. Righteousness. If we were to take the word righteousness and clear, clear, just, just purely define it, it means uprightness. But, but if we were to use it in its context and its application, especially here in this verse, it means you have been brought into a right standing relationship with God. The, these chapters are building themselves up to this passage. In Romans chapter 3, it says that there's none good, no, not one. There's none righteous. There's, there's none who are right with God apart from the sacrifice of Jesus. All of us are at enmity with God, hostility, and a bad relationship with God because of our sin. It takes Jesus' blood to make us right through that peace offering and with the heart, man believes unto this. We have received this with our heart. What does that mean? Guys, understand this. With the heart, it's more than just saying I love Jesus or saying I am committed to following Jesus. But the heart is more than emotion and the heart is more than thought. The heart is a place of action as well. With the heart, man believes 
by faith, is trusting the work of Jesus on the cross, is able to save me from my sin and forgive my sin. And because of that, now I am standing upright. I am going to, in this good relationship I now have with God, go forward in my life. The first step of this is when my heart is saved and converted and changed. Now I, with my mouth, make confession unto others that I am a follower of Jesus. And now I am on this path and I will never look back ever again. See, it's, it's the, this purpose of the heart. <laughs> what kind of heart does, does Jesus use to mend hearts, a heart that knows what the purpose of the heart is? Now, if, if we were to look at everything we just said, a heart is, is sinful, is broken, can be dirty, but can be rescued. The purpose of God in, in knowing our hearts is to rescue our hearts. But once our hearts are rescued, obviously our heart that is mended is intended to mend other hearts. And so what does that mean? It, the second thought is this. <laughs> the heart that Jesus uses to mend other hearts is a heart that expects holes in other hearts. You see, this is this is so true and so known and so obvious and so ignored. Why, why expect holes? Because people are broken by sin, either direct sin or indirect sin. Because we have been abused or we have been abusive. We have history of hurts in our life to where we've been on one side of the stick or the other. Because we're people and because we're warped and we're shaped wrongly. Sin has come into the world and sin has affected us all. And so a heart that expects holes. <laughs> you see, this, this is, you mean to tell you where, where relationship, boy, girl, fall in love, hold hands on the sun beach, uh, on the beach in the, in the sunset, and they, you know, they just kind of go off happily ever after. I blew that, Sam. Be quiet. Yeah. Hold hands on the beach with sunset happily ever after. And this is, this is the deal. When you first meet that individual, you're probably thinking, man, they're perfect. Man, they're so great. They always smell good. Their teeth are so shiny. Their hair is always in the right place. They got such good behavior. They're never on the phone when I'm talking to them. Right? You probably write letters that say stuff like that. You know? How wonderful and perfect and great and nothing's ever... Yeah, they got problems, folks. And you got problems. We, for some reason, we choose to overlook problems. Sometimes we can do that to our own detriment if we're not careful. Can I just offer you this piece of advice that if you're going to be the kind of heart that is mended, that God chooses to use to mend other hearts, is to expect holes in other people's hearts due to sin and trouble and history and being shaped wrong and all of this just because of life, because this is what we live in this life and this is what life gives to us, that you, you can expect it. You don't have to overlook it because if you're expecting it, let, let me say this. Not inspecting it and pointing it out all the time. 
but expecting it to where when the hole comes up, you'll be prepared and ready to help fix it. <laughs> but you're not digging to find it or trying to expose it, but you expect it. You're there. You're, you're there with love. You're, you're there with care. You're, you're like James and John was on the boat of Zebedee. They know that they've been using this thing very often, and they know that because of the use and the abuse of this thing, that it's going to be pulled back into the boat, and it's going to catch the, 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 the splinters of the boat, and it's going to catch the nails on the deck, and it's going to catch the fins of the, of the fish. And, and they're they, they going to just expect at the end of every day, all right, let's go ahead and get the, get the thread Let's go ahead and look for the holes and go ahead and mend up the holes just, just to expect because the purpose of the net is to catch fish. The purpose of the heart is to, with this heart, glorify God and love people. And sometimes people have a hard time in doing that because of all the holes they've got in their heart, all the, the problems we've got with our heart. You just be the one that's on the side of that individual knowing that you got some holes that still need to be mended, but you're willing to stop and help now, which really brings me to the last thought, and that's a heart that's willing to take time. What kind of heart does Jesus use? It's a heart that's willing to take time. You, you can't rush through relationships and expect that everything's taken care of in a quick overview of life. You, you can't expect just one quick brush through. You can't rush through those conversations. You've you got to take time in relationships if you're going to be a heart-mending kind of Christian. Which means you might have to hear the same story more than one time. Anybody ever been there? You know the person. You know that person. That person that comes to you and that person talks to you and they're going to share the same story with you every single time you talk to them. And you're thinking to yourself, either they've got amnesia or they think I'm not listening I don't know, right? Something, something, there's a disconnect somewhere. And, and the reason that they're repeating this story is not for any other reason, but there's a hole somewhere in their heart about this story that they're exposing to you. And you just take the time and you listen. And you take the time and you, you pray. And you take the time and you think. And every time that hole opens itself up, you just take the time for that individual. You see, a heart that Jesus uses to mend hearts with is a heart that's willing to take the time. You, you have to slow down. Let your heart be a part of the construction, not the destruction of what's going on in that individual's life to help mend. I, I don't know about you, but, but the fact of the matter is that my heart oftentimes needs, needs some extra mending. You're going to meet people in your life. You've got loved ones that, that are dealing with difficult things and, and they need hearts that are, that are mended and need mending. And, and so you're just going to have to, if you love them, if you know the purpose of your heart and know what God can do with their heart, then you'll take the time and you'll stop with the expectation that you know that there's holes and you'll just take the time and with love you'll help mend those holes the same manner in which Christ has done the mending for your heart and your holes. So it's not an easy work. But if you'll think about it, somebody has taken the time to help mend the holes in your heart. Right? 
So be that kind of heart.